0: Welcome to Pop Psych 101,
1: where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad
0: and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts,
1: break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape.
0: We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy.
1: This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts, and introducing our guests today. I'm not even going to let Haley introduce herself because I'm so excited. We have Priscilla (laughs) and Elise from Novel Feelings. Um, Priscilla and Elise, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having us. So exciting. Yeah, we're excited to be here too.
3: Fans of the show and keen to um, pick your brains about our topics Mm -hmm. today.
1: And Haley, welcome as well to you. I I railroaded right past your introduction.
0: That's okay. I feel like I always say hi over you anyway, so we're just continuing the pattern.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) So Priscilla and Elise, thank you both so much. Um, Before we start our show, I'd love to give you guys a chance just to tell everyone about your show, which has some similarities to ours, but also some um, important differences.
2: Yeah, so our show is called Noble Feelings. We discuss mental health representations in fiction novels mainly.
3: Yeah, so we uh, we cover a range of different books and a range of different mental health issues. So our first season, uh, well, we're, we're pretty new. <laughs> so <laughs> we only dropped our first season in November of 2020. And since then, we've released um, our six episode season and a few bonus episodes and yeah our show is really about getting an in-depth understanding of how different authors present mental health issues in fiction books which I think is a really great medium for talking about mental health because you get so much depth through the page and you know often mm-hmm individual thoughts come forward a lot more yep. clearly than you might get in TV and film and so on. And, yeah, we're just big book nerds as well. So that's <laughs> why we decided to focus on that. But, uh, yeah, we're dropping our second season in 2021 and we have a number of episodes planned covering books from, you know, middle grade to young adult to adult to adulthood um, and, yeah, everything from, um, you know, depression, anxiety um, to other things such as uh, the impact of trauma.
2: Um, What are some of the other books we're covering? Um, One with ADHD Mm -hmm. representation, one with body image issues, or rather we had a chat about how anxiety was related to body image and confidence.
0: Very interesting cool guys got a
3: range yeah (laughs) and uh we're both psychologists as well Mm -hmm. working in australia um so we're we both live in melbourne victoria so right down the south end of australia it's very cold here at the moment (laughs) oh okay so Uh, so
1: so many questions about australia but i guess we should probably focus on the mental health aspects of it (laughs) Um, because i've never been i would love to go but as you said it's cold right now and i'm trying to think is it because it's a different season right does that is that how that works uh, I'm, I'm, yeah it is on uh, my uh hemispheres um <laughs> it's
3: autumn here so we're about okay or, or fall as i i know sure. you americans like to say um no we're about to head into winter um so okay. yeah we're, we're rugging up as the u.s is probably starting to drop all of your layers as it gets warmer <laughs> that's true
1: very much looking forward to 90 degree weather tomorrow yes um but yeah so what's you know, obviously, curious. Obviously, there are cultural differences, but in terms of the mental health culture, you know, I think the U.S. has a certain reputation for there being a stigma, and I don't know if it's if there's the same things in um, in Australia, but I imagine there are there are differences in terms of um, how those topics are discussed or or not discussed. So, what's what's your experience um, as, as treatment professionals or as advocates?
2: I think stigma certainly still exists um, and it's an ongoing conversation to try and turn that around at the moment mental health is kind of a hot topic i suppose because especially in melbourne we've been through quite a harsh lockdown in 2020 and there's been a lot of discussion about how that impacted or still impacting everyone's mental health Mm -hmm. Um, so as a as someone who's working in counseling we have seen a spike in demand since 2020 so at the moment our wait list is probably 50 to 60 people constantly wow and that's much
3: more than it was before right that's yeah true.
2: it yeah. was um so a lot of um a lot of referrals for children especially um mm. and teenagers uh, so definitely the impact of the pandemic is obvious and that's been um in the public's consciousness as well um, but I think the move towards actually getting help for mental health, it's still in the, what do you call it, still in the very early process of that being really understood.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in the bigger picture as well, there's been so much talk about mental health in our media over the last mm-hmm. six to 12 months or so, and it's been an ongoing conversation since before the pandemic, but that the pandemic really... I think Mm -hmm. increase it and brought it to the forefront so in Australia we've had a couple of very large sort of policy things going on so we've had um, a Royal Commission into mental health service provision and experiences in Victoria the state that we're in but there was also another gigantic report that was released on a more national scale last year and lots of recommendations for how we can improve our services so in Australia we're lucky enough to have uh, Medicare which essentially subsidizes um, a lot of health treatments, but also mental health support. So we have been able to access subsidized um, treatment with psychologists for quite a number of years. I'm not sure exactly how Mm. long Medicare has been covering that, but that does mean that there's a lot of services that are you know, reasonably affordable or a small out-of-pocket cost and thankfully in the past year they finally agreed to double the number of services that can be accessed under medicare because for a long time you could only access mm. 10 and now that's 20 which i think is making Amazing. a big difference lots of work though to go as well um a lot of the work around st- um A lot of the research into stigma in Australia has found, though, that it's still a really significant issue. So even though we are talking about it more and more people are getting help and there's definitely a demand on services, um, a lot of services still aren't meeting people's needs, um, in particular for people who have more severe, complex or enduring mental health issues. So that's where a lot of work needs to be done, in my opinion, to make sure that people understand um, and not holding stereotyped views of people with these experiences and that we actually have services that meet their needs. So that's kind of the area that I'm working in and wanting to make sure that we can, you know, head in the right direction in the long term.
1: Yeah, because I imagine with, with Australia, similarly to the US, that there are probably really wide ranging rural area, areas where there are very little services. Um, and while telehealth is filling some of that void, um, you know, whether it's internet access or um, other barriers, it's, it's you know, got to be difficult to make mm-hmm. sure everyone um, or even a, a significant um, majority of people have a proper access to care.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And the other thing that I've noticed is it's gone from, you know, I have a wide ranging population of people dealing with all sorts of issues, and now this sort of seals it that everyone in the world has An experience with what's happening right now Mm -hmm. you know in the whole world which is which is a wild thing to have every single i'll speak for myself every single one of my patients at one point or another is talking about the pandemic or their experience with it or and that's just it's it's on one hand very unique it's also challenging i think
3: i think yeah i see of it as being a a collective trauma that we're going through and Mm -hmm you know, thankfully, another important thing to note is in Australia we've had very low numbers of COVID. Um, So Melbourne had the worst hit of all of the areas in Australia. So we had a very significant second wave in the middle of the year last year, Mm -hmm. um, which meant that we were sent into very harsh lockdown, but a lot of other areas were not impacted anywhere near as much. But even that being the case, our highest numbers were still significantly less than a lot of other countries, including the US. So
2: it was 700 at the
3: worst. Per day, yeah. Per so that, day, yeah. That was huge for us. But then yeah. oh, we see the yeah. numbers in other countries just completely skyrocketing past that. And that did mean that with fewer numbers and fewer transmission, there were fewer deaths and the impact on health services was not as se- severe. Mm. But we did have the strict lockdown which meant that our movements were very limited for about three months. And, mm. you know, it worked, but it did have a huge impact on us. So it's quite a complex picture, I think, um, in terms of, you know, longer-term mm. benefits but short-term really high levels of distress in the community um, as a result of that. And, you know, mm. the the controversies, the, the people that were angry about it and everything, um, yeah, yeah. It's been, a, been an intense year. Let's just say yeah. that. <laughs> but yes,
1: to, to get into what we're talking about today, which at your suggestion, I was very grateful for is the Netflix series Bridgerton, which obviously is also based on a set of novels. So with that, let's take a short break and then we'll come back in with Bridgerton.
0: Everyone's talking about mental health these days. But what about severe mental illness? It's more common than you might think. Did you know that one in 100 people lives with schizophrenia?
1: That's why the BC Schizophrenia Society has launched a brand new podcast called Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined.
0: Host Phaedra Aldridge talks to doctors, families, and people with lived experience about how to recognize mental illness and the specific treatments that can help. Check it out. They'll really challenge you to look again at what you think you know about mental illness.
1: You can find them on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners.
0: We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound.
1: So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Bridgerton is an American streaming television period drama series created by Chris Van Dusen and produced by Shonda Rhimes. It is based on Julia Quinn's novels set in the competitive world of Regency-era London's ton during the season when debutantes are presented at court. Um, It is starring a whole host of fantastic actors and actresses that I won't be able to list all of them, but uh, really a well acted and a very pretty show to watch. So I'm Mm. curious for uh, Elise and Priscilla, having read at least the first book of the series, what your experience of watching this series was like. And I'm assuming you read the books first.
2: I did, yeah. I'm not sure it was the same for Elise. No, I
3: did it the other way around. I only read the book when we wanted to cover it for the show, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I did read the book first and I had a funny experience with it because I was enjoying it, enjoying it up until that scene happened. Yeah. And I kind of put it down and I was like, what just happened there? And I went online, looked at Goodreads to see if anyone was talking about it and there wasn't anyone talking about it mm. and I was like am I imagining that this is an assault mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was quite confused about it and watching the show I was really enjoying the first few episodes but I had that dread in the back of my head about how they would handle it mm-hmm. we we will probably discuss that yeah. later but it is slightly better in the show than it was in the book
3: yeah I share that
2: opinion hmm so I actually really enjoy it.
0: Better handled or or not as traumatic?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, let's just jump right into it. So, and with yeah. the quick trigger warning of, um, mm-hmm. obviously we're gonna be discussing sexual assault, rape. So mm-hmm. if this is a discussion that's uncomfortable for you, feel free to skip this episode or come back in maybe 20 minutes from now. So we're talking about the, the sexual assault or rape yeah. experienced by right. the Duke of Hastings. Mm-hmm from his essentially partner at the time, Daphne, right? Yeah. So you you were telling, talking about how it d- differs between the book and the
2: show. Mm-hmm. I In the book, I would say, like, for me, it was very clearly rape. So mm-hmm. Simon was asleep in the book. I think he may have been drunk as well.
3: Yeah, he was. And yeah. I think he was, like, becoming aroused in his sleep and Daphne, Yeah. this was at the point so where Daphne was, was sort of thinking, starting to realize that hang on maybe this is how babies are made because she was not exactly given much sex education prior Mm -hmm. to this point um and it wasn't I I still didn't read it as predatory but it wasn't okay
2: no there was clearly the consent was consent was very not there so Simon was asleep he was saying you know yes Mm -hmm. Daphne but he was asleep Mm -hmm. um And then as Daphne, well, if I can just say it, as she climbed on top of him and, you know, initiated the sex, he was becoming more and more awake but not quiet.
3: I think he did wake up by... yeah. He did wake up by the time it was actually happening, okay. but he was still, um, you know, intoxicated. And yeah. mm-hmm. um, it had sort of started while he was half awake. So we've got that issue with his state of consciousness not really being mm. where it needed to be. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. yeah. In the
0: book, no, in the book, has he made it clear that he does not want or can't have uh, children in the same way that he does in the show? So like basically yeah, the same. very clearly expresses that the consent for children is not there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that part is exactly the same in the show in the book that he says I can't have children. So by this by this stage Daphne's realized that that's semantic mm-hmm. that he can he doesn't he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um in the book Simon's stutter is very obvious. So the book describes his effort Um, to overcome it and how it might still come up sometimes for him. It's actually a lot more traumatic in the book because he couldn't speak when he realised that Daphne wasn't going to stop. Um, So it was pretty horrible to read for me.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The show doesn't sort of touch on the issue with the stutter quite as much as the book does but it's still it's still present i suppose but Mm -hmm. yeah i guess in the show um they did change it a bit so he he was awake and consenting at the start and then she you know essentially used positions and the force of her body to mean that he did ejaculate inside of her i don't know how pg-13 this book this uh, podcast is um but yeah and that was you know the way that ended was Mm non-consensual and in this in this show in this world they don't really have the language around consent that we do now Um, they don't have the understanding Mm -hmm. of consent that we do now and I suppose most of the media that we get around this era if if they are showing any kind of sexual assault the man is usually the perpetrator and the woman is usually the victim So to see it flipped was interesting, but it also meant that we didn't really get a lot of discourse in the show about why that wasn't okay. We saw Simon Mm. getting very angry afterwards and we saw him, you know, being very hurt by what happened and clearly quite shook. But Daphne sort of used that opportunity to, dig her heels in about why she was angry at Simon for him not communicating with her about what it actually meant to you know be unable Mm, to have children and the show kind of treats it as almost like equal arguments like both parties are at fault and although I believe both parties had a point of view that was understandable Mm -hmm. I think it failed to sort of address that that was sexual assault and as did the book, which is what disturbed me a bit. And in some Mm. of the discourse that we get around the show, people have clearly said, "Uh, guys, what what on earth? (laughs) Why why is nobody (laughs) talking about this? So there there has been some discussion, but to be fair, I don't think as much discussion as I would have expected based on that scene. Mm. And I think it it comes back to the bigger picture of, um, you know, gender and sexual assault and what happens when a woman does assault a man, which does happen and often doesn't get talked about or gets brushed under the rug. Um, and we know it's an issue both ways. It's an issue no matter whom is assaulting yeah. whom, but this mm-hmm. was a very clear example in very popular television that would have been a really great opportunity to portray the impacts of this a lot more than it actually did.
0: Yeah. I think exactly kind of what you said of the way that it was handled was she rapes him, right? He had very specifically said, I do not give consent for this sex act, right? And, you know, rape isn't just engage in sex or not, it is is forcing a sex act upon someone that they do not consent to. And I agree with you, they kind of with the fight right after, right? It left the rape behind and turned into a conversation about like, but you said, but I said, and almost as though like, it's justified that she did it because they were fighting. Um, and that Mm. to me was very, I got very angry. I got very upset Mm. with it. Um, because it was kind of like, like you kind of said, like we do have words for consent, but I still think that oftentimes, the language that men get to have around rape and sex gets still does not really exist in our culture today. And that almost seems like kind of what happened here is like, well, we'll, we'll all acknowledge that something bad happened, but we'll move past it pretty quickly. Um, And Mm -hmm. I didn't, like it I was very angry and I was like I just like paused it and I was like that was rape like why what? and I also know like especially back in that time period but also today the um question of um rape and consent within marriage people think gets muddy and it shouldn't like it should always be clear no matter what stage of knowing each other you are but you know especially back then in the time period that it that it's set in um there was certainly no such thing as rape in marriage. Um, yeah. Which
3: made me so angry. <laughs> and yeah, as I said before, I don't think Daphne is being predatory. It's almost presented as being like an experimentation in the show of her not quite being sure what's happening. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, she still forces an act upon Simon that he did not consent to. And mm-hmm. that is not clearly described as an issue, which is where my, my And she knows that he doesn't want yeah 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 exactly
1: i think what you guys are pointing out is that it raises this issue which is an important one and it asks questions about it but it doesn't really give us any satisfactory answers or, or explore the implications of what's happened and i think this is best illustrated by actually what lady whistledown says at the end of that episode and i'm just going to read it it's, she says and i'm not going to do a julie andrews voice even though i <laughs> Kind of would like to do it. Desperate (laughs) times. Okay. Desperate times. Oh my God, that's terrible.
0: I'm so excited. Desperate
1: times may call for desperate measures, but I would wager many may think her actions beyond the pale. Perhaps she thought it her only option, or perhaps she knows no shame. But I ask you could the ends ever justify such wretched means?
0: Beautifully oh, done, Ryan. <laughs> and beautifully said, Lady Whistledown. So
1: yes. Mm-hmm. So Lady Lady Whistledown asks this very important question, and we don't ever really get an answer as to the consequences of this act, because mm-hmm. we kind of get just a pretty standard romance happy ending to this relationship. Yeah. I mean, there's Beautiful. some ups and downs of it along the way, of course, but pretty minimal consequences um in terms of the the act itself
2: i think in a way having that happily ever after following this presents it as a a hurdle that they just needed to get over it's like part of that miscommunication and that you know you look in the end it's fine because he does want children now um which is Mm -hmm. problematic and i think that's really interesting because this book was written about 11 10 years ago Mm -hmm. um Modern romance novels, even older, maybe 20 years, maybe. Modern romance novels, actually, most of the time do a really good job with consent because they are written by women, women for women. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting that that hasn't come across in this 2020 production. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting that they chose to change some of the act itself, almost to take some of the... Um, uh-huh. some of the predatory nature out of it that we see in the in the book but they didn't really change the consequences of or explore that with more nuance so you know we yeah. do get the frustration and anger the fight between Daphne and Simon and they almost you know by sort of the latter end of the season their marriage is very much in trouble but it still resolves Pretty quickly, and with Daphne essentially yeah. telling Simon, you know, you need to get over your childhood trauma and to stop holding on <laughs> to this grudge. And because I love you. Yeah. Because I love <laughs> you, and this is ridiculous. But yeah, and like, I, I mean, yes, he did need to work through some childhood trauma and some resentment towards his father, a big issue. But it just, it wraps up, and they have a kid yeah. by the end, and it seems to be okay. And in the book, they have more kids as well. So, <laughs> Four kids in four years.
1: (laughs) And that's not how trauma works. We all know that they set up this really complex trauma story um, about Simon, you know, all the abuse at the hands of his father. And, you know, I think that was really well done. You know, look, the story of his birth and losing his mother, not ever knowing his mother, and then essentially being raised outside of his family, not knowing his father, but being sort of presented to him as Look, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a capable, um, you know, child now I can speak. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then still not being good enough and just sort of constantly being abused in that way, abandoned. They set up this really complex story for this character. And it felt like it kind of kept being to a certain degree like, oh, it's just this this sort of background thing. Um, like, yeah, mm-hmm. he ha- he hates his dad and that's played for effect sometimes when other characters especially know this about him. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not really a thing where we get to see him actually deal with it much, mm-hmm. right? Um, and of course, you know, the degree to which there was any mental health assistance back in yeah. uh, 1800s, uh, <laughs> Regency era England is is evidenced by king george being basically just referred as being mad or crazy right mm-hmm. um when uh my understanding is that he had maybe bipolar or maybe there was some biological basis for what was going on it looked for like him
0: dementia but... a little bit because yeah, okay. he That's like completely forgot yeah. that someone was dead um sure
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah yeah i think they almost tried to paint it as triggered by grief i think it was mm, their daughter okay. Or the son oh, that passed
1: away, okay. maybe.
2: Okay. And since then, he sort of became quite disoriented.
1: Yeah, but the, those people are just sort of ostracized. That you're you're mad, you're crazy, you know. Um, and there are some parallels that we talked about stigma um, so far already today. But but yeah, so we're introduced to a lot of themes of you know mental health. Related or adjacent issues, mm-hmm. um, gender being one of them, right? Mm. So we talked about sort of the initial uh, aspects of this relationship being formed between Daphne and Simon, in particular, um, how they both are sort of using each other for their, uh, you know, station in life, what they do, mm-hmm. or very much don't want to deal with. So I wonder, you know, as as you all uh, watched this, what what gender things were you noticing as, and especially as things that maybe could relate to uh, gender issues that are still present for us today?
2: Um, for me, definitely the pressure for women to marry was very obvious, and that was the driving force behind Daphne's need to get more attention and suitors. fake this relationship. Yes. Yeah, get more suitors and fake this relationship in order to do that.
3: And that still happens today, probably mm-hmm. not to the Well, at least I I believe in our culture, not to the degree that it's happening in this sort of regency Mm -hmm. setting, but you know, we still get that you hit a certain age and people will ask you nonstop. So when are you settling down? When are you getting married? When are you having kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still it's still very implied pressure. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. But in this show, it's very much it's it's very set roles that women and men have in this society. Um, You know, women are there to be wives, to be the head of the family in in terms of sort of raising the children. Um, You know, we are looking mostly at upper upper class um, Mm -hmm. women in in this show as well. So there's a sort of understanding of being, you know, being social, being polite, being pleasant, but ultimately it is the man who's the head of the household who's the breadwinner. Mm -hmm. Um, Women can't have you know, they, they can't work, they can't own property, um, they can't inherit from relatives as well, which leads to more and more issues. And as we see in Marina's storyline, the idea of having a child out of wedlock is the ultimate disgrace that you can bring upon your family.
0: Yeah, well, even kissing someone in the garden is a disgrace
3: enough to yeah. be Forced into marriage, or being seen alone without a chaperone.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
3: The reputation is so fragile in this show.
2: Yeah, it's all about honor.
1: Yeah, and not just your own, but your your family's.
0: What I find very intriguing is it's very clear that the Bridgertons are more progressive than the majority of the um, characters, in that they want daphne to have a say um you know and he said like i don't anthony finally got to the point where he said i don't speak for my sister he had to work through some (laughs) cultural things before he got there but eventually (laughs) um he got there but even still right so even still in this like more quote unquote progressive family like eloise for instance just has that extreme distress at like i don't want any of this." And at, and they are like, no, no, we know that about you. But then they also still keep kind of dropping the, like, for somebody who doesn't like ball gowns, you sure look beautiful in ball gowns. Um, (laughs) and really kind of being like, no, we know you don't like it, but like one day you will. And I think, you know, that kind of shows up a lot today for women who don't, for instance, want children where people go like, well, you know, for now um and there's all almost this expectation like well you're a woman so you will want to get married and have
1: children so this role is one that you're gonna fall back into some way right yeah
3: Yeah. that's why i'm really curious about what will happen with eloise's um (laughs) storyline in the show because i i understand that she has her own book in the novels which i'm just gonna assume based on the other novels it's probably a heterosexual romance of some sort so where is that going to lead for her who, at, at least in the show, is portrayed as this kind of um, fish out of water, this modern woman in a Regency setting who has much more modern feminist values than a lot of the other mm-hmm. characters in the show. So what, how are they going to handle mm-hmm. her if she ends up having a central romance in a future season?
2: Yeah, I know the plot of that book, but I'm not going to say anything.
1: (laughs) Oh,
3: man. Okay, well. Spoilers.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Bridgerton's season two or three. We'll see.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Because
0: particularly with her character, she says that she wants to go to university, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that is kind of the thing that she mentions. Um, I think, yeah, she doesn't, there's, you know, no, like, interest in sexual romantic relationships for her. Mm -hmm. Like, she's just kind of like, I just want to write and read and learn i love her she's great her and benedict man the ones that are like breaking the norms i love them
2: (laughs) (laughs) i think in a way the Bridgertons probably have their privilege to be more progressive because they have Mm -hmm. men in the family so even though they don't have their father anymore anthony can still protect protect his sisters and give them allowances if needed
0: permission to make their own choices
2: yeah, yeah. They, if they don't marry, Anthony can still give them financial security to an extent. Mm-hmm. The Featheringtons with three daughters, mm-hmm. when their father, well, now that their father's dead, they don't yeah. have anyone to look after them in that way. So it's really no wonder that Lady Featherington is so desperate for them to get married.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so we see some of those um gender struggles of, of the women in the show but it's interesting the the gender struggles of the men is interesting mm-hmm. as well i mean we there's there's dueling mm-hmm. there's yeah you know their own respective uh rejection of um whether it be norms or uh, in, you know in anthony's case right he's engaged in a relationship with someone he would not ever marry that would not be the the person that he would be yeah. you know mm-hmm. uh, engaged to but he's disapproving of other people acting out of their norms so it's it's all these sorts of dynamics where we see people react or try to act within what's expected of them whether that's be by family or society and that was something that i was sort of noticing this theme of especially with the dual scene which was just wild Um, (laughs) and you know uh, gratefully is not something that we have to deal with today and sort of like where you know you you must put yourself in a life or death situation to defend your or your family's honor. But I. And it was think even that, illegal. <laughs> well, right. Right. That yeah. didn't stop them. Um, no. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, just fascinating because I think it was clear whether it was written this way or, or produced this way by, by, you know, Shonda Rhimes, who obviously um, does this very well, I think, which is dropping in sort of modern references to okay. this period piece right mm-hmm. everything from um some of the uh, gender stuff you know feminist values kind of showing up in characters to the um i guess we're calling it more progressive portrayal of of the sex and intimacy within this mm-hmm. uh period piece which often we don't see that like i'm thinking and and you guys can correct me if like i'm race. wrong but like Right, right, but, like pride and prejudice, I think the the scandalous thing is 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 much much more reserved than what we're seeing with the show <laughs> yeah. um, so mm. so it's really interesting to see those sort of modern problems, and I think the the whole lady whistledown piece is is an interesting one of it, too, obviously, the comparison's been made to Gossip Girl, but for me, I was just kind of getting this whole vibe of like you know people staring at this piece of paper. It felt like cell phones it felt like people scrolling Twitter or Facebook uh-huh. of like what's the latest update? what's going on with you know my crazy uncle or that girl across town that I heard about And seeing people get so wrapped up in and then also very much impacted by these rumors or or just truths that were being shared was a fascinating um, context. So I wonder if you guys were, were kind of watching it with that lens too because I, I couldn't help myself but but think like, you know this is the same like comparison stuff that people struggle with when they go on instagram now it's like hearing yeah. about the bell of the ball um from last mm-hmm. night's uh um soiree the
0: season's <laughs> diamond yes, yes that's right
2: <laughs> um, now that you put it in that way i actually thought about uh paris hilton Sure, my God. Uh-huh. Sure, yeah. <laughs> This is yeah. an old reference. But... Where is this yeah. going? I love
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough, but that's what I thought of too.
2: Yeah, very much that you know that because things like Twitter and Instagram, you have many sources now. Mm-hmm. But in the early days of gossip blogs, I think there's only always that one place you go to yeah. um, to get your "quote unquote" news, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. and it was. I think that same sort of level of salaciousness and scandal. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And I think in this era as well, you know, humans have this fascination with gossip, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we see in this show that that transcends era as well. You know, that we have mm-hmm. that now and we've had that for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it comes back to fascination with other people and mm-hmm. our desire to learn more about others and, um, you know, part of its empathy but part of it is also uh the social comparison so you know as humans we naturally compare ourselves to others all the time and we're more we, we really want other people to like us as well so we we desire that relationship with people who are within the same group as us if you're looking at something like intergroup theory and you want to distance yourself from other people who are seen as being mm-hmm. other or undesirable and something like lady whistledown's blog is like a cognitive shortcut <laughs> to yeah. actually learn you know who should i be spending my time with whose reputation is good who has the most social benefits for me to be spending my time with to be respecting and who should i be distancing myself from so the featheringtons for example in this show start off as fairly high society maybe a little bit more rough around the edges um, than mm-hmm. the um the Bridgertons or some of the other families in the show but they're still pretty much seen as being part of the in crowd and by the end of the show they are so ostracized and mm-hmm. you yeah, a lot of trouble and of course we learn at the end of the show that um, yeah. Penelope is Lady, yeah. Lady Whistledown and so she's been holding the strings of this marionette for such a long time and we see her as well trying to use this to her advantage at one point with um, with the mm-hmm. Colin Marina storyline yeah. too. But it's just, it's really interesting that we've got someone who is in that kind of outer edges of the group who ends up being quite central to the social standings of all these other characters and definitely reminded me of Gossip Girl for those who have seen <laughs> Gossip Girl. Yeah. Um Brief spoilers for Gossip Girl, that Daniel Humphrey is Gossip Girl, a storyline which makes very little sense, by the way. I gave up on Gossip Girl after a few seasons. But I remember seeing that and thinking, yes, this doesn't really make sense, but I can understand why they would put that character who is set up to be the outsider as that character who Mm -hmm. becomes so central to the gossip circle and the social standings within the school. So, yeah, Yeah. I just think it's really interesting that um, this desire to save face, to save reputation, is so central to this show it's very um applicable to modern life
0: yeah and then penelope is in, in group and she ruins her own family's reputation right yeah. so kind of commenting on what you said where um you know the the desire to save face and Penelope as Lady Whistledown is like, nah, I don't care. (laughs) Like, like, I'll write out my own family.
3: Yeah, well, her motivation Mm -hmm. is very much to stop the relationship between Colin and Marina, um, which I can, it's complicated, but it is at least partially due to selfish reasons of her having romantic Mm -hmm. feelings for Colin. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you know, Marina's choices to manipulate him into a marriage understandable but Mm. not very not very nice as well but yeah in that case (laughs) Penelope's desire to save Colin outweighs her concerns about her own family which is interesting Mm -hmm. yeah
1: Yeah, so it's using using power knowing what power you have and and abusing that power in many ways right this Mm -hmm. is also really a show about Mm -hmm. status and power and who has it and how it's used and because we see even in, in one of my favorite scenes in the early episodes is even queen charlotte is is obsessed with lady Whistledown, mm-hmm. even though she has like a contortionist right in front of her that, that, that scene felt like I'm watching TV, but I'm also scrolling Twitter. Like, give me something else to entertain myself with. And she says something oh to that gosh. effect. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating that this has always been a problem of ours is I want to know what other people are doing even at the, the sacrifice of my own sort of self-interest. Man. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously there are a lot of other relationships going on in this show mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, because we can't cover them all, every single character, I was curious, you know, especially for both of you having read the books, you know, what other things jumped out as you guys were watching uh, the series? Are there other favorite characters or, or dynamics that you found interesting?
0: And as you guys speak about this, um, I know that you um, on Novel Feelings have your own episode um, about Bridgerton, the novels, and you speak about relationships. Um, So bring that up and tell us about that episode and um, have people go over there and check that out too.
2: Yeah, so we find Simon's relationship with his father particularly interesting. And it's Mm -hmm. such a driving force of his character, which also influences his relationship with other people as an adult we know that he was well he was a rake up until he met Daphne which meant that he was sleeping with a lot of people but not committing to any of them um
3: bit of a debauchery kind of lifestyle right yeah seen a lot of the, the men in this show but the women can't possibly Go into. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not the high class women, no. no, no.
2: <laughs> we thought that that pattern of Simon's was really informed by the trauma and his relationship with his father, and that fits really well with attachment theory. Yeah. Yeah,
3: so in our episode we um, so so we have released a few bonus episodes which are all about tropes that we see in fiction, so not just fiction novels but also broader media as well. So we covered um, some of our thoughts around attachment theory and the attachment styles of Simon and Daphne in our bonus episode, so you're know, very welcome to listen to that too if anyone is interested. That was one thing that I definitely liked about the show and its portrayal of psychological concepts was how they set up Simon's childhood trauma and his relationship with his father to impact on his relationships later on. I thought that was a real strength of that type of portrayal in this show. I just wish Mm -hmm. it had been covered um, a little bit more nuanced down the track.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
3: Um, Another relationship that I thought was really interesting was the friendship between Simon and Anthony. As well so they are portrayed mm-hmm. as being quite good friends and you know, going way back even though they're not what i would call as being emotionally close so Anthony doesn't know mm-hmm. a lot about Simon's childhood for example but how their relationship falls apart the moment that Anthony sees Simon and Daphne kissing um mm-hmm. and that sort of triggers all of the the protectiveness and the the reputational mm-hmm. difficulties and a lot of these things that we've been talking about in, in Anthony who they then uh, you know I, I think it was Anthony who challenged Simon to a jewel. Um, mm-hmm. and Simon you know the other option being to marry Daphne for Simon to marry Daphne. <laughs> and Simon chose the jewel <laughs> as you do because of his <laughs> because of his Promised to his father not to marry yeah yeah so again that yeah. you know um Ryan you were talking about how these gender norms affect men as well in this show and I thought that was really highlighted yeah. in this scene is how um you know the need to protect the family to protect the family's mm-hmm. reputation and honor um and how that can completely destroy a friendship and
2: how you know mm. violence is seen as being the answer in this case and I can't believe I'm about to defend Anthony but uh, (laughs) having read the book where he is the main character, we will find out more about his own trauma related to the death of his father and how he was almost forced into the role of being the head of the family at maybe a younger age than he expected to be um, and how that informs his feelings about his father's death his own mortality, this responsibility, all those things inform his actions that we're seeing in this season. We're just mm-hmm. not getting a lot of his perspective at this stage. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't justify any of his actions <laughs> there, but there's um, I think there's more to Anthony than just being the the asshole. <laughs> asshole <laughs> order brother. Yeah. <laughs> sure. yeah. And
1: and you guys, you know, identified that that's one of the benefits that books have is being able to go deeper being able to get internal monologue right being able to get um to tell the full story and that that sometimes is lost and Haley and I have talked about this on especially in movies where you can only really get into like the biggest plot and sometimes things do get um Kind of devolved into tropes and things and like well this bad guy had trauma happen to him so this is why he weighs this is why mm-hmm. he, he's this way now
3: yeah
1: <laughs> and and it's unfortunate but but that's why when we can have a series or a book go a little bit deeper and give us background and give us especially i love when we get internal monologue which we do a little bit with lady whistledown sort of in this sort of sharing you know observations about the things mm-hmm. that are happening with everyone it's much more nuanced, and we get the sort of things behind the controversies, behind the the central plot points. So I, I appreciate that about the show.
2: Um, another relationship that is that I find interesting is one that Violet has with his with her children. In this case, particularly Daphne, I think that's a lovely contrast with Simon's relationship with his father, because Violet yeah. seems like a very present emotionally available mother mm-hmm. uh, quite an impressive feat considering she does have <laughs> eight children quite close in age <laughs> to have you know really lovely one-on-one relationship with all of them all it of seems them. Yeah. is mm-hmm. yeah really really nice
0: yeah and also I think that, that speaks to that attachment that you guys have spoken to and um, Ryan and I covered this briefly in our Queen's Gambit episode um, in how we often talk about attachment as though it is, this is your attachment style and good luck with it, <laughs> whereas that's not the case. It's a developing thing and you can learn and you can change, which very mm-hmm. rapid fire and in a very non-complex way, we see that with Simon in that <laughs> when he is shown really um, you, you know, secure attachment and kind of... Again, it's one scene in the rain. It's basically told, like, I will love you no matter what. That allows him to deal with um, kind of the hard stuff that he's going through. But again, doesn't happen that quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very,
3: yeah. In real life, I think that would take a number of years, potentially, before he was feeling more comfortable or desired a family with Daphne yeah Um, and and would certainly take longer I believe to actually work through some of those issues that came up in their marriage too so we kind of just get a little like moment Mm of I'm ready to change and then boom Mm -hmm. montage baby change Yeah. 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 yeah I have
0: so many issues with that marriage because they never actually talk to each other ever they just solve everything with sex and so as someone who was totally team Prince Frederick, um, the whole time I was like, these two's values do not line up, therefore this relationship would never work in real life. But they they make it work mm-hmm. after one emotional rain conversation.
3: <laughs> um, although back to Daphne and Violet, as we've touched on, sex ed would have been great if that had been a little bit clearer. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, so, it, so help me out. <laughs>
1: Can we come up with a, an explanation for why uh, a, a mother, even in Regency England, like would not want her daughters to know this information? Is it an age thing? Like that was the thing that I could not wrap my head around. Like why would you not want your daughters to know, especially as they're suiting, like being uh, approached by suitors? Like you would assume that this is something that a conversation would have to happen
2: oh i imagine that's where the gender norms conflict with yeah and
0: class norms as well
2: well yeah well i grew up in indonesia so i think you know it's a more conservative culture and to be quite honest i don't think my mother's ever spoken to me about sex so i probably understand that's fair that sort of dynamic more, perhaps Yeah. yeah and yeah so i think it's this it's probably Seen as t- taboo still yeah. to speak about sex in quite frank terms, especially um, with women. And maybe Phil, yeah, maybe Phil just thinks you know, wait until the wedding night and then we'll explain it later. She seemed very uncomfortable
3: through the very minor conversation that she had, mm-hmm. where she danced around the topic and talked in very vague terms. And you know, I think uh, this still happens to a degree in modern times where. I think people make a lot of assumptions about what people know and where they find things out. So parents who, for example, might mm-hmm. tell their kids a little bit but then go, it's too awkward. They're going to learn out mm-hmm. learn through school anyway. Mm-hmm. I might as well not tell this person, um, not answer their questions directly or just wait or, you know, wondering about what's the right age and so on. But I think it's pretty clear that this show does not condone the way that Violet (laughs) spoke to her daughter about sex ed because look at all the trouble that it ended up causing, Daphne's lack of (laughs) knowledge and understanding. But I think it comes back to as well, you know, these women are not really getting a lot of world experience before they are Mm -hmm. thrown into these marriages at quite a young age, whereas the men are encouraged to go off and and be rakes to to travel Mm -hmm. to see the yeah. world to have experiences to I guess get it out of their system before they settle down into marriage so mm-hmm. you know characters like um Antony, Benedict and Simon we see that they have had that history or are going through that history at the moment mm-hmm. and even a character like Colin is set up where he's about to go and travel the world and he was mm-hmm. highly discouraged from settling down despite yeah. being older than Daphne <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. he was told
0: to sow his oats yeah, <laughs> i was yeah. like oh no
2: <laughs> yeah and i think we still have this issue with sex education where there are people who think oh we can't talk about sex with teenagers because then they'll go out and do it mm-hmm. and it's like better not talk about it so they practice abstinence until they get married yeah. But we know
1: we know that... how
3: well that works out. Yeah. We? yeah. <laughs>
1: we do. We have, we literally have the research. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. There are multiple systematic reviews that have found that absence only <laughs> sex education leads to higher pregnancy and STI rates. Right. So, yeah. I used to work in sexual health research. So, strong opinions <laughs> about this.
0: <laughs> well, and if you think about it, like the way that Penelope goes about trying to find out how someone comes with child, as she words it, is she so she speaks to Marina and Marina says, oh, it's love. So let's say that that's what's taught to a, a child, right? Like, oh, you fall in love and then you
1: which is basically frightened. like the stork, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that first of all is going to make a young person scared of love. But let's say they do end up having like getting into a sexual situation they're not going to know that like this is the act that makes you pregnant right so they'll be like and well, I that don't would love be terrifying him, so it doesn't yeah. matter yeah because love is what gets you pregnant and it's like mm, no this very specific act that happens a certain way is what gets you pregnant and you know these ideas of the stork or love or basically anything other than a direct explanation of what happens would lead to a misunderstanding but be more pregnancy because you
3: Hmm.
0: are avoiding things that aren't the thing that you want to be avoiding
2: it would be the same thing with Daphne if she had known the technicalities of having having babies she might be she might have been able to challenge Simon and be like when you say you can't what actually do you mean Mm
0: -hmm.
2: whereas the way it is she just assumes that something's broken
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until somebody explains it to her.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And obviously we know that communication and education are empowering, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, putting people at risk in, in the majority of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think, I think going back to like treatment, what, um, we do in many cases, which is, you know, those, those first interactions really helping people develop a language for what's happening with them. And then mm-hmm. being able to use that language to identify their needs to their family or to their partners or to their kids or to their parents. I know, especially mm-hmm. when I've worked with teens, that being able to have that language around anxiety, depression, trauma, whatever, and either learning to share those feelings with maybe it's their parents, maybe it's their friends, right? Ways to talk about this stuff in a, in a normal way is so empowering. As we, as we do see sort of with, with Penelope, even though Marina doesn't uh, tell her the truth, which clearly she knew the truth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, we, we assume she knew the truth. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that there is so much value in being able to, to learn from your peers, um, things that your parents aren't necessarily comfortable imparting upon you.
2: Yeah. I have to say that before marina said love she said cake and i thought that was a funny scene <laughs> cuz oh. Hector was yeah yeah cuz
3: Penelope like takes her hand away she's like oh. <laughs> i love you <it>. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so funny oh man so priscilla on a scale from 1 to 5 of lady whistledown's letters mhm how entertaining did you find both the book series and the um, the show, the Netflix series?
2: Oh, wildly! Do de- I have wildly different opinions on that? Great, <laughs> <Right>?
0: Because <laughs> you've yeah. got two answers.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I would say the Netflix series is a four out of five for me in terms of entertainment. I really right. love the production of it, and it's very chandelier. Uh. Um, you know, it's very colorful and bright and it's very sexy as well. Um, yeah. The characters are all quite alive. And I think, you know, right up until episode six where the sex sexual assault happened, I was really into the world. With the book, it felt very outdated by the time I read it. So I've read it, I think, 2019 or 2020. By that stage, that book was 20 years old, and there was a lot of very gendered um, scene happening. At one stage, when Daphne and Simon were fighting, Daphne went into her own room and closed the door on him. And he said, you know, you are mine. I don't have to ask you to come in. So that sort of language was happening quite a bit in the book. Mm-hmm. So I would rate the book a two out of five. Okay. Um, I have read yeah I've read a lot of romance novels. it's not one of the best
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's not <That's> kidding no. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who are wondering which way to do it, you know we don't often say this but watch the
2: show
3: don't mm. read the book.
2: yeah, uh-huh. watch the show. <laughs> I
3: mean, there are still, the books still have their own fans. Like there's still a, a yeah. fairly dedicated series of fans for the Bridgerton novels. And I do think it's really exciting that there has been, you know, an increase in sales and bookstores that don't typically mm. stock romance novels because they're seen as being too niche or not very profitable are actually seeing an insurgence of sales in in Bridgerton and related books. And I think that's really exciting. Exactly. But I just kind yeah. of wish it wasn't these exact books that were getting that, um, <laughs> that number yeah. of profits. I mean, good yeah. for Julia Quinn. But...
2: Yeah, I'm excited for this series to be a gateway to more romance novels being taken seriously as an adaptation rather than being seen as sort of trashy. Because um, mm-hmm. yeah. it's ridiculous if people think romance novels are not profitable because I'm pretty sure the sales of those books prop up a lot of publishing houses.
0: Oh, yeah. I love yeah. I'm love i fully on board yeah. for this being completely
3: <laughs> yeah But they just don't get like celebrated and, you know, put in the front of bookstores mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And you, know, mm-hmm. you, you sometimes have to track them down to find them. So when I wanted to read a copy of The Duke and I, which is the first Bridgerton novel, I ended up having to get it on Kindle because I just couldn't find it in store. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just nice to see that this might have a nice cultural impact on how people perceive these books.
1: So Elise, um, out of one to five, um, ridiculously dramatic horse duels, although I know it didn't start on a horse.
3: <laughs>
1: um, how would you rate Bridgerton in terms of its accuracy in portraying, you know, mental health issues?
3: Yeah, um, I'm going to give it a three, and the th- my my three horse duels is because I. <laughs> really liked the setup and I thought it did a really interesting and quite complex job of setting up the impact of childhood trauma on latter relationships and a very interesting portrayal of gender norms, masculinity, um, reputation and sexism and a, a lot of sort of social factors that impacts upon our mental health and well-being. I thought that was really excellently done and I, I quite enjoyed that aspect while still being entertaining um, to a large mm. degree. But I did have to slash off my my two remaining horse jewels because of how strongly I feel about the last couple of episodes and the impact the the lack of discussion around the rape and its consequences. And I think that could have been portrayed a lot better, to be frank. It has sparked a conversation um, and I do want that to be an ongoing conversation that people have. But I just think this book and TV show really could have done better with how it was portrayed on the page and on the screen.
1: Yeah, so they get points for, for bringing some of these conversations to the table. And we hope that whether it be in future seasons or in other uh, Shondaland uh, series that are sure to come on Netflix, that we get a little bit more depth of discussion around these types of issues.
3: For sure.
1: All right. Well, um, Priscilla and Elise, thank you both so much again for coming on the show. Where can people find Novel Feelings?
2: So we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much any other podcast player. On social media, we are on Twitter, Goodreads, and Instagram at Novel underscore Feelings.
3: Or you can go directly to our website, which is NovelFeelings.com, and... All of the links are there so you can listen directly from the website and view our episode blog if you want to or contact us directly. Priscilla, do you want to give a shout-out for your Bookstagram
2: as well? Sure. So I, I I can be found on Bookstagram. So that's the section of Instagram that's just all about book bloggers, really. Yeah. Um, my username is at pavedwithbooks, with an extra S.
3: Awesome. And thank you so much, Ryan and Haley, for having us on your show. Absolute pleasure yeah. to talk about Bridgerton as as per usual. And um, <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed the discussion, and hope we can collaborate again in the future. Absolutely.
0: Thank you for coming on. We had a blast.
1: Yeah, I would love that. And um, Haley, I know we we have some exciting episodes that are yet to be published, or that we're yet to record. So we've had a request for the woman in the window. Um, so if you yes. send us requests, oh. we will add it to the list. Lots of exciting things we're, we're looking forward to covering um, and watching. And, and for you guys, I'm sure, reading.
0: Um, and otherwise, find us on social media at Twitter and Instagram um, at poppsych101 and like and subscribe and then also go over to novel feelings and give them a like and subscribe
1: Uh, on behalf of um, novel feelings and haley thank you all for listening and uh, we'll see you again next week
0: thank you